Thank you for listening to Wolfcast and Pod, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Angel the Television series. We will be discussing each episode in detail, so we have no concern for spoilers and the like. Please enjoy. I remember when we were kids in that shelter on Summer Street. Hmm? Second floor is all rotted out. We used to dare kids to cross. And of course, you were the best at it because you were the... You're the bravest. I wanted to be like you so bad, so I went up and the floor gave out. <laughs> I would have broken my neck, but you've been watching me the whole time. You were standing right below and you caught me. Ever since I can remember, you've been looking out for me. But you don't have to anymore because I'm good. and. I- it's my turn to look out for you now. How? Look at you. You running and hide and cold and hungry. You call that living? You are the one who's falling now. Let me catch you. Don't you want to stop falling? Powers. It's another episode of Wolfcast and Pod, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Angel, the television series that will, in all likelihood, take you longer to listen to than it would just to watch the show. Joining me, Ruben, on the other line to discuss today's episode is Marsha. Hey, I how's it going? I should probably say the who's Wolfcast and who's Pod thing, but I always forget who you decided was which. I think I'm Pod. Sounds good. <laughs> I might be Wolfcast though. I can't remember. We'll we'll see next time I say the intro. I don't write that kind of stuff down. <laughs> I can uh, listen to the old ones and see what you said originally, but I think you are. I think Wolfcast. you were right the first time. I think I'm Wolfcast in your pod. Yeah, because the beard is more of a Wolfcast thing. <laughs> okay um my day was good i watched some movies and i watched some angel and i did some podcasts and really you know if i could survive in a capitalist economy doing those things i would <laughs> <laughs> I'd be perfectly happy doing it and i got to play with a dog doggy <laughs> How was your day? It was great. I worked all day and sat down all day in an air-conditioned office, so pretty much like Nirvana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why did it smell like Teen Spirit? Bazinga! <laughs> your uh, your feed's going in and out. So if I ever just don't say anything for a long time, it's because you've frozen up, and I can't tell if you're just pausing or if it's. <laughs> That the feed is dead. 
Um, yeah, it was being junky earlier, although now it seems smooth again. Um, I, I'm at my parents, um, where I think the internet connection is better, but I'm also in the basement <laughs> where the connection to the actual router itself is worse. Yeah, I'm gonna... Well... I hooked myself up to Ethernet, so maybe... I don't know, maybe it'll be better on this end. To the episode! Yes. Speaking of uh, Spe difficulty connecting... And Today we're going to be discussing Warzone, and uh, it's your turn to give us the plot. So, I kind of spaced out at the very beginning of the episode because I was trying to get my stuff to take notes. I think they start at the party, don't they? Or do they start with the ambush? The very, the very first scene is the um, trap laid by Gun's sister to get the vampires. The first scene's the truck? Yeah, the trap laid by Gun Sister. Yeah, so the very first scene, um, you see what you think is going to be a bad scene going down and someone getting attacked, and it turns out there's a group of people, a group of kids that have decided to clean out the streets of vampires by... <laughs> they have this truck with giant wooden stakes on it and a stake turret. And they go around cleaning out their neighborhood by setting up traps for vampires. Um, then we cut and we see uh, Cordy and Gun, not Gun, Cordy and Wes and Angel go and get a new case from a billionaire where he's got some compromising photos of him with a um, non-human uh, prostitute. So they go, they do that investigation thing they find the guy who has given up the photos but the main episode arc is about bringing Angel in contact with Gun and Gun's group um, Gun's group actually loses a character very early on to the ambush and Gun's sister is kind of like his moral voice um, and it shows them you know scavenging for food and just having a really tough life down there. And then in an ambush planned by the vampires, uh, they abduct Gunn's sister and actually turn her. And Gunn goes in and has a reckoning with her as a vampire. Uh, and, you know, his, his friends try to storm in there and clear out the nest of vampires, but Angel gives this very long Buffy speech about everyone mm -hmm. getting out of his town and then everyone kind of walks off and Angel and Gunn form an unlikely partnership of sorts I like this episode I give it a B a B B plus it's right Ooh. on the edge of being a B plus um, mostly uh my only complaints are I don't think Gunn's sister is a particularly great actress and while I think J. August Richards eventually gets there I don't think he's totally got a handle on the character yet although spoiler alert for the next couple episodes I feel like he figures it out pretty quickly yeah I agree um, 
and uh, I think there's a lot of um, good emotional stuff and funny stuff, and um, I actually really like the structure of this episode, um, the way that the two stories uh, are interwoven, I think is pretty smart, that this uh, presumptive bad guy of the episode draws Angel to this particular neighborhood so that he can have this, you know, showdown with Gunn and his crew. Um, it was a pretty cool idea. So I actually also written. really liked this episode. It's very watchable, even to people that haven't seen the show and don't really know what the show's about, in part because it's introducing a whole new arc. It's kind of like the beginning of a different area of Angel, where it has more uh, overarching stories and less Monster of the Week. Um, and it's about something. So like, even if you don't care about vampires, this is about class and race, at least superficially. You froze up, so I don't know what you said. I said this episode is also about something. Like, it's about class and race, right. at least superficially. So if you don't care about vampires, you can still be like, oh, this is kind of political, unlike an episode of CSI. And what <laughs> what's cool to me about it is also uh, it's about making a stand and being in a difficult situation and having a duty to a small group of people rather than a large group of people, which are all things I think are super well explored later on in the show. And they're actually themes that I really like personally. Mm -hmm. Community building. Um, I would say not to get too Freudian, but that instead of calling gun sister his like moral voice that it's like he's the id and she's the super ego and then the group is the ego so there he's constantly wanting to like just express emotions so in this case like fight vampires and she's always like we have to fight vampires but we got to be smart about it and then those two voices sort of control yeah what the group does. <laughs> Were you talking about Alana acting as the group's moral compass? Yeah, except for I, I said that she's not exactly the moral compass because she's like more about rationality. It's not like Gunn is making immoral decisions. It's that he's making, you know, reckless, emotionally driven decisions. So he's emotion and she's brain. Right. Uh, I guess immoral is the wrong word. But yeah, she she lobbies for caution and protection instead of aggression and, um, you know, making the first strike. Um, my first note is apparently they really like this bridge. I don't think it's a set. It seems too big to be a set, even though it's clear from this episode and future episodes that they're starting to get more money right. infused into the show um, based on just the size of the fights. But that this was a is bridge? at least the second... Yeah, she like runs along a bridge into an alleyway. 
is the very first shot of the episode. And I was like, I recognize this bridge. It's at least one, if not multiple episodes, like shot from different angles. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> this is the, um, like, Skid Row bridge it's like, of <laughs> the Angelverse. It's got to be a bridge, like, right by where they're shooting or something. Like, it's like their bridge <laughs> that they commute in on. Um, and then I really, I mean, it's totally an obvious, like, cheesy moment, but I really love the playing of the angel music as it's panning up gun and then when you see that it's gun like instead of like having the musical completion that the angel music normally complies it's like (laughs) because yeah it doesn't provide you that musical satisfaction um because it's not angel (laughs) (laughs) uh my first note is my favorite character heart you know, mm. less than three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Makes sense. I like their underground bunker. It's the first death of a good guy that we've seen in a while. Yep, and there's a lot of sets in this episode, which is cool. Like, not whether or not they're actually, like, on lot sets, I don't know. But... You've got the bunker, you've got like the parking garage den of the vampires, you've got the Hollywood party of Nesbitts, you've got the um, place with the sex workers, I can't remember the name. Yeah, I can't remember. uh, I know it's a madam, and then a madam runs a something house, but I can't remember. Brothel. (laughs) Brothel house. Brothel. Yeah. Yeah. That we've got the brothel, and then of course the standard sets like Angel's Office. And then there's that um, weird uh, Home Alone rigged factory, like the vampire mm-hmm. hijinks factory. I have that exact same note. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of Home Alone. Um, yep, I like the Hollywood party. Um, uh, I like that when uh, they walk into the party, uh, Cordelia's like, oh man, I miss that smell. And Wesley's like, taking it very literally is like I believe that's camembert which is the type of cheese and she goes no money (laughs) (laughs) and and Angel's like you think she's joking but hide some in the office sometime and watch her go it's uncanny (laughs) this is off topic but have you heard that quote about you know the Marx Brothers right Mm Hmm. I haven't seen very many of their films but um, I've seen one or two. I actually read Harpo Marx's autobiography, and he said that I think it was Chico could smell money. The one that played the piano. <laughs> he said he tried to hide some money mm-hmm. in a wallpaper one time. Like he made a little slit, and then he tucked it behind into the pocket, and he said Chico got it all out. <laughs> so, anyways, Cordy has that superpower too. <laughs> yep. And. Um, a joke that I don't like so much, though, is uh, when um, uh, David Nesbitt, I believe is the name of the billionaire, asks if they're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, and Angel's like, of course, and Wesley's like, <laughs> no, he means the game. I thought that was hilarious. And then they, they were <laughs> like, oh no, did someone take pictures of you playing Dungeons and Dragons? He's like, oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good joke. It's like, do we have to hide the fact that you're a big nerd? And he's like, no, that's very well-known information. <laughs> and uh, he's really pitiful, too. Have we... Yeah, poor poor David. Like, 
I would be extremely annoyed if someone acted like that. But just because being around someone so needy and feeling like you're their only link to the outside world is kind of like it's kind of suffocating, you know. Mm. But luckily, they write I him. I feel out really bad quickly. for him in this so. episode. I think he's a good actor, though. Have you ever seen Office Space? Yeah, the movie. Because it's the same actor who plays Michael Bolton in Office Space. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, we get kind of a funny joke, I guess, sort of at Cordelia's expense, where you find out that she basically arranged this meeting so that she could go to this party. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's and she's like, is this not a good time? And uh, David's like, oh, your uh, associate told me that you could only meet at night and that, you know, in order to look, you know, blend in, you should come to a party. And Cordelia, like, gives, like, a <laughs> and she's like shrug or whatever. She's like, I guess we should stay around for a couple of hours so we don't stick out. <laughs> yeah, so we don't erase any suspicion <laughs> about our presence here. And uh, then Leslie and Angel roll their eyes. But based on the next scene with them, it sounds like they did stay at the party for a long time. Which, why not? What was the next <laughs> scene? The next morning? Or? Well, the very... I, I mean, the next scene with them. But the very next scene is a continuation of the fight uh, with uh, Gunn and his sister. And I believe Johnny is the name of the person who dies. Um Although, and I think another person dies too. I think you see like a human neck snapping. And my note about that scene was uh, why I had two notes. One, largest fight uh, so far in the show. Uh, and then also, how are they lasting this long taking these types of losses? Like, is this an especially egregious battle in this particular episode? And that's why we're just finding out about them but like if every time they fight they're losing one or two people they'll be gone within like a month <laughs> yeah i mean it it does it, it doesn't address that directly but it would seem like it's coming to a head because they've just found the nest like they find the nest right after this big fight yeah but yeah there's not that many of them <laughs> And uh, this is a very minor complaint, but it seems like what that one vampire does to Johnny doesn't seem like a killing blow to me. Although I guess humans are surprisingly fragile. They die from oh. things all the time. It's very poetical. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the most realistic demon element mm -hmm. in the show so far, which is that if there were demons in the real world, demon sex workers would be the very first thing to follow. Heck yeah. Yeah, uh, so Angel goes, how does he find... Oh, the guy tells him, right? Where to go? And what yeah, girl um, he was seeing? I, Wesley figures it out immediately, where, um, like, the guy hints at the idea of, like, having sex with the demon, and then Wesley's immediately like, ah, Madame Tussauds. <laughs> very famous. Right. <laughs> And so, yeah, um, Angel goes there and then asks the madam about, uh, you know, he describes, or he says, Dave, he drops David's name and it's like, who has he been seeing? And at first she doesn't want to help him because he's a PI and because he's a vampire. But he's like, if you don't 
let me do my job, then it's going to get out that someone managed to get secret photos and then blackmail, which will be bad for business. One thing that I do like about this series of episodes is that we're starting to see that Angel is automatically identifiable as a vampire to some people. Whereas in the rest, it's yeah. been it's just been like, oh, he blends. But she just picked him out right away. She was like, we don't serve your kind here. <laughs> yep. Um. <laughs> don't do that face thing and we'll get along great. <laughs> yep, and then um, we get... Uh, the first like discussion between Alana and Gunn about um, Gunn's recklessness and uh, the team has come back and they said that they've managed to track one of the vampires back and found a nest and then another team member I forget what that means when I hold up my hand it means you cut out Uh, so yeah we get our first Alana and Gunn scene and actually, I like the dynamic between them. Like, they seem really comfortable talking to each other. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's because they never bring it up again. But one of my notes is, I always forget that Gunn has a sister. Yeah. Because, like, they never bring it up after this episode. Right, which is weird <laughs> because this is, like, a formative experience for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. It seems like... They drop a lot of, I don't know, backstory with Angel over time. They don't really talk about Cordy's family either. You know lampshading? What is it? It's like lampshading, but the opposite, like where they bring something up and then they never address it. Is there a word for that? (laughs) No. There's the opposite thing for that called, um, not Nabokov, someone's gun. Oh, oh my god. If a gun is on the mantle in the first oh act, it needs to be fired in the third. So Angel's just constantly placing unfired what? guns what? all over the place. Shit, I'm going to Google that. Yeah. That was probably one um, of the best episodes of Community had one of those. Um, yeah, and like I said in my what I liked about the episode. I feel like this is a good way of intersecting plot lines. The uh, first person comes back and they're like, hey, I found the nest. And then a second person comes back and it's like, there's a vampire jumping from rooftop to rooftop. And you think that maybe it's one of the bad guys, but then it's Angel chasing down this uh, skeezy... uh, Blackmailer. I don't know, thug for hire, I guess. (laughs) Type dude. Extortioner. Although yeah. it's never revealed who's he, who he's working for. He might just be a free agent. Yeah. It's Chekhov's gun. Yeah, Thug for Hire is... Yeah. Thug for Hire is not the exact right thing, but he's not like a mafia boss is what I'm getting at. It's like he's yeah, not... Yeah, he's just some dude. He's not a big bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I, I really like it when Angel gets sar- sarcastic with the bad guys. And so Angel threatens him, revealing what the team suspected that he is a vampire and obviously since they would not figure up the idea of a vampire with the soul there wait they set up traps for angel when he comes back right because he's like i'm gonna hound Um, you every night until i get this information 
Yeah. He's like, yeah, he says something about setting up camp here. Yeah, he, I mean, he looks really bad. He's like, this is my year. If you don't know what's going on. It's true. I mean, even if you do know what's going on, like, there's an element where a gun would be like, no, this is my territory. Step off! Oh. <laughs> um, uh, and then we get this scene of David paying them before they've even finished the job, and Wesley is reticent to uh, accept the money from David. <laughs> Cordy, like, starts to reach out for her, and then Wesley doesn't want to take the money, so she pulls her hand back. <laughs> and then she reaches out and takes the and takes the check later, and then it's like, uh, she's it's like a lot of money. Apparently, Wesley is like, "Sir, did you know how much this check was made out for?" <laughs> and Cordy's <laughs> like, "I'm sure he knows how to fill out a check, okay?" <laughs> yeah, and then she says the uber sexual thing when so she awful. says that David is a good name. It feels good in your mouth. <laughs> I like. Wesley rolls his eyes. I didn't really say anything. Okay. I like that they kind of lean into that joke at the end by actually addressing yeah. the idea of her uh, being with him just as a token for getting his cash, you know? Like entering mm-hmm. into like a. And that they even, you know, point out like that that's what marriage is for some yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have thoughts about that at the end but they're probably pretty similar to your thoughts probably maybe um and and he like (laughs) thanks them for hanging out with him and talking to him when he doesn't seem like that bad of a guy maybe that's like his one personality flaw is that he gets in his own way yeah um i think he probably did have friends and then he became super rich and now he's surrounded by a lot of phony people and for whatever reason, he finds the angel gang to be genuine. Or, and like, I mean, they are genuine, that, but that, he that we can give this much quickly. to this guy that never shows up again. He doesn't show up again, right? One more One time. One more time. I forgot that I turned my camera off. <laughs> I made a hand signal. <laughs> just like and I was like, oh, my camera's just off. like so well written and so good. That guy. Um, <laughs> And then we get into a fight scene after this. I wrote down poor demon. Yeah. Because like this demon who's hired to protect the thug, like I was like, I mean, it's a demon, so you're not supposed to care, but he's just trying to make a couple bucks. Yeah. He figured it'd be an easy take. (laughs) And the angel kills him. Well, he went into it knowing it was a vampire. Um, Yeah. But still... Like, he doesn't—he doesn't look like a rich, you know, demon like who's committed to the destruction of humanity. Like he's just wearing like a sweatshirt and <laughs> jeans or something. I don't know. <laughs> and it's just like. <laughs> I guess there's not a lot of jobs for demons out there. Yeah, he seems like you know, more like Marlon Brando and on the waterfront, oh. like just like a small town. <laughs> Trying to get through. Just <laughs> reading a lot um, into today is the day complete lack of performance. Yeah, today is the day of deepening the backstories of the most minor characters. <laughs> but it's good. Let's run with it. Uh, um, I really like. Then we get something I really like, I, which is the horror, the horror music of the show, 
playing for Gun Chasing Angel. So they bring in the like <laughs> music, which was previously used for Angel Chasing people and now it's used for someone chasing angel i really like the swing around the pole move by the way in the fight <laughs> scene angel grabs this pole and he swings around it and uses and plants both his feet in the guy's chest and it's such a slow move and it's so ridiculous well then you're definitely going to like some of the fighting in the upcoming episodes because it involves more over the top unnecessary like junk. wwe style <laughs> it's great um, so yeah, um, Gun chases Angel, and we feel some real danger for Angel. Although obviously Angel's not gonna die or anything. Uh, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought it was just great how they like keep coming, like they fire and they hit him, but they miss his heart, and then he gets away. But then they drive the truck in, and then he gets away again. But then there's yeah, all this through stuff. the door, which is like a big. Which is like, again, like and another horror trope. It's like someone standing in front of a door and then something comes through the yeah. door to like either kill them or make them right. run away. Uh, and then I wrote down Home Alone yep, Angel. I wrote down, uh, <laughs> they've booby-trapped the place Home Alone style. Uh, and uh, Angel saves Alana from the stupidest trap you could put against yeah. a vampire, which is like a thin metal dart. Yeah. Um, the he First, he momentarily kidnaps Alana, yeah. and it seems like he's going to use her as a bargaining chip to get away. But then, sensing, I guess, that they're good people or something like that, he's like, I don't want to do this. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, and he tries kind to of like reason with him. Pushes her away. And uh, as he's pushing her away, it triggers another trap. And then he catches uh, an arrow in his hand <laughs> to prevent it from killing Alana. And, you know, obviously that moment makes Gun hold off from attacking right. him for a moment. And we get a really funny. I don't uh, remember Angel what happened. Sarcastic part. Oh yeah, they're bandaging up Angel in the next scene. Yeah. And he's gotten the payload um, by this time, right? He's gotten all the pictures. Yeah, um, he was running away with them earlier. Um, I you you skip though the extreme Angel cuts, which is Ugh. when it goes from the scene of him home aloneing to the scene of him getting bandaged up it's like all whatever 30 shots that were in the previous scene strung together in like a 30 second like (laughs) i was like whoa they're like making up for like a whole season's worth of not using this effect i know they quit doing it for so long and then if you strung all of the angel cuts together it would be like three minutes long from these two episodes They were really into it this episode. Maybe it's just like one editor, and then like when they bring him on, he like refuses not to use it. Yeah, he's like, I don't know. No. And that phrase, like that's he's like that's the defining angel characteristic. Do you think they were like <laughs> they got everything down and then they cut it and then they were like shit, we're thirty seconds down, and so they just started <laughs> started putting padding. They're like, damn, we can't start. That's actually way more likely. <laughs> They're like, we can't start the next episode until the. Until the or the next segment until the break, so let's just stuff some shit here. Mm-hmm. Um, you were sort of bringing this up 
in your description of why you like the episode, but when they're talking, uh, Cordelia says that it's so strange that um, Gunn and his crew are 20 minutes away from billionaires, like that these two populations exist in LA and in the show, like at the same time, and that there's this weird non-conflict about it. That like this dude that they were just with could like buy and house like this entire area. Yeah, exactly. And not really suffer monetarily. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that exists for me as a fact, but not really as a reality, if that makes sense. Like I understand that it's happening, but it's so difficult to wrap my mind around. It's just sad. The extreme wealth yeah. gap. Especially in... It's only getting more extreme. Yeah, I mean, you saw that picture, what was it, a couple of months ago with those girls taking a selfie over a homeless guy? No, I didn't yeah. see that. Huh? I did not see yeah, that, no. It was in LA, I believe. It was unsettling. Um, there's a picture that Basil told me about once that I think has now been mentioned on all of my Woo! podcasts, uh, <laughs> uh, which is that it's so like, there's a w- woman who is most likely poor and is uh, not American um, from a... What's up? From a, it's a, it's a woman most likely poor not American from, you know, uh, not as economically well-off country. And the picture isn't of her. The picture is of a bunch of photographers surrounding her trying to get the picture of the year. And then this person steps back from that as like, you know. Wow. These, it's like this whole group of people is like not really concerned with her distress. They're like way more concerned with art (laughs) and there's like a similar point to be made there it's like a not real it's like a not reality to them and they're just like oh this would be a good picture wow no i haven't seen that one i haven't seen it either but basil just described (laughs) it to me but i think it's it's a great point do i have to i like bringing it up describe it to someone else within seven days (laughs) yeah Otherwise, you will become a distressed woman and people will take pictures of you. Too late. And then there's the part with the vampire nest. and White supremacist uh, vampires. I don't know how. Yep. I, don't, I said I don't know. Uh, my note is I don't know how I didn't notice it before. But this dude is a clear white supremacist. I guess I, I just didn't know the language mm. in the past. But like, yeah, he's like, there used to be good working people living in this neighborhood and like the visual language of all of these vampires is very white supremacist as well it's sad to me that they've well he he even has the one token black vampire um, it's sad that they've optioned like (laughs) the visual language of the late 80s punk movement because i liked that but now it's all like skinhead um why is cracking your Fascism knuckles a often, bad guy thing? I don't know. Like cracking your neck. Like it's a super bad guy thing. 
Yeah, he gives this long <laughs> speech about this one vampire that got lured into a trap, and then he stakes him. Because he's evil. Yeah, I wrote down, why stake that vamp bad yeah. guy? It's dumb. I don't like that part. I hate when they do that. The master does that, like, at least once, if not, like, two or three times in season one of Buffy. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, And then... I wrote debating about Angel, but I don't remember to what that's referring. Are they um, debating about Angel? I don't remember who it was. Uh, Angel is going to help. Oh, right. Gun and Angel them. shows up in their like underground lair. Right? Okay. Yeah, I have one note before that, which is that there's i mean i guess it works because the scene unfolds differently than i was expecting to but when angel finds the nest there's a vampire hiding on the ceiling oh yeah and like i'm i'm like oh this scene feels tense and creepy before it shows that vampire like it's an unnecessary shot but i guess since it's actually ends up being kind of comedic maybe it is a necessary shot to set up it's the hilarious joke. <laughs> um and then he presumably tortures that vampire for information as to what's going to happen. And then he goes to try to warn Gunn about what's happening. But Gunn doesn't listen, throws Angel in the meat locker. And uh, when um, he, when the vampires uh, seemingly attack by throwing like, it's going to be a fun episode to edit. <laughs> Sorry. Um, he he throws gun he throws angel in the meat locker yeah and then the vampires throw uh, tear gas into the uh, underground lair to drive the humans out so that they can kidnap but everyone thinks that it's so it'll be nighttime in there you know and they'll be able to walk in without the daylight also how did they know who Alana is did they just figure on capturing any of them? Yeah, maybe. Or Either that or she's... Maybe they had done their the work. Isn't she the only girl? Or is she? No, I think there's another girl. No. There was a line earlier... In the wider that, shot with the, sh- with the showdown, there, there are more girls. There was a really good line early in the episode with the gun where two people that they didn't know had wandered in off the streets... And they were like, well, we don't do squatters. And he was like, everybody eats. And so they all split their food with the new people, too. It's Gun. Because, yep. yeah, because Gun wants to help people. That's why he's doing what he's doing. Even if he's not doing it in the best manner. I feel like they go just to the edge of, I have a code. You know, like they got the dudes yeah. that have a code, <laughs> but they never, I don't feel like they ever crossed that line with gun, which is really good because it's a stupid line. Code dudes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wrote down, do clothes provide temporary protection or permanent for vampires? Could vamps just hang out in the sun if they're completely bundled up? Like, or does it like soak up in <laughs> or their so clothes like- and saturate? <laughs> Yeah, or is it like I sunscreen? It's permanent. Otherwise, they, they would eventually too get long, dusted standing under a roof. Yeah, the, my only question is like, um, if that's the case, then like, a, why don't they just bundle up and walk around 
<laughs> whenever they want. I mean, I guess they would look goofy, but maybe people would just get used to it, think they were like part of a weird gang. Um, but also, like, why do their clothes dust then if Whoa. a vampire is thrown out into Whoa. the sunlight? <laughs> Whoa. So I think it's kind of like, I mean, it's never explained, so it's just completely me guessing or me creating an explanation that never has existed but that it's like sunscreen and so if they bundle up a lot they can survive in the sun for like a short period of time but you often see them like smoking like they're about to light on fire and that eventually they will combust if they just stay in clothes and that for whatever reason what you know a building provides a level of cover that clothes don't i think the problem is that the show has them both okay both catching on fire and dusting i think dusting was just it was supposed to be exploding in fire right where the clothes would disintegrate but instead they chose to go the cheaper cg way of like i'm assuming that flames would be more expensive and less realistic than a dust so they went with dusting I mean, I think early on, they, the dusting, they, as far as like, you know, instead of like dusting someone and then their like clothes fall to like a heap and the ground, that's a really difficult special true, effect true. to pull off. <laughs> so they decided that the clothes were part but of the yeah. dusting effect. Whereas like, if like you dusted someone and then their clothes just fell to the ground, that would be a very different uh, scenario that covered all parts of this (laughs) um i don't think i've mentioned it yet but i hate gun's accent at this point it kind of reads as you know like when people try to speak in a southern accent but they're not very good at it and it's kind of like uncanny valley (laughs) like it's almost there but it's not quite there Mm -hmm. anyways that's where he is with his vocal patterns right now on his character and i think even in the next episode it gets a lot better um my last note about this scene is that I think it's really funny that the vampires are wearing gas masks because they're not wearing them for the gas. They're wearing them to protect their faces from the sun. Even though there is gas around, it doesn't actually bother them because they don't breathe. <laughs> I thought it was funny, uh, the line, the gun doesn't want to take advice from a middle-class white dude that's dead. Yep. Like, in order of the most important things to gun that make Angel's experience invalid. <laughs> Number one, middle class. Yeah. Yeah, I, we actually switched this because um, the attack happens, the assault, and then Angel shows oh, up I gotcha. after the assault. And he's like trying to convince them how to go about uh, getting back to the right. vampires. Um, and uh, <laughs> Cordelia and... Wes are trying to find their uh, base by looking for their electricity tap. Right, I thought um, that was interesting. And I always like good detective work, so like actually following a trail is always interesting to me. Yeah. Also, file it away under Wesley's talents. Mm-hmm. Um. And then Gunn runs off, and they find where the vampires are, and he goes in, and there's Alana, seemingly alive, but, oh, she's a vampire. Right. Snap. And, uh, you know, she 
tries to convince him to join her that she can protect him now that she's so strong and fast that, that she can monolo- offer her monologue life and then was probably 30 seconds too long for me yeah well it's very like theatrical, there's a point where they pull out of it and all I think of these that scenes it's over are very and then they go theta. back into it and i'm like oh oh no but i got the idea already on the other hand the scene with angel wesley and cordelia is one of the funniest scenes of this whole season so far so he's like trying to break down the door and he can't and then he finds like a loose plank and he smashes through it and then he breaks a gate and then he's like reaching around trying to like open the meat locker and um and then wesley and cordelia open the door from the outside and they're like why didn't you call us on your cell phone (laughs) and he's like he's just staring at them it's like you probably forgot you had it, didn't you? And he's like, no, it was like faster to, and he's like doing like the punching <laughs> motion with his hand. He's like, whatever, I'm the boss. <laughs> I get to say when we're going to use our phones. Yeah. Hilarious. And then we get that angel speech. This is the first about, time that we learn where, um, that vampires. Huh? I said we get that angel speech that you were talking about at the beginning. Yeah, but not until, not for a second. She, I think she's still, she like, this is the part where it goes back into her trying to convince Gunn. Yeah. Yeah. This is the following speech that we started What's the that? episode. Our, this is the following speech that we started our episode of the podcast. Right. With. I'm still back where she's talking to Gunn. Yeah, that's what I said. This is the following speech. Oh, the falling speech. The falling speech. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, which is um, stories like this is perfectly well written and well acted, but I always sort of tune out when someone starts making a speech like this. The like, remember thing that happened to us and how it metaphorically relates to the current situation that we're I in. Mean, Emotions, look, right? Look, I actually do really like spoken word poetry, but when a scene in a TV show starts sounding like spoken word poetry, I kind of tune out because nobody talks like that. Well, it's just a very classic theater, which I do find it a little more palatable in theater. Yeah, exactly. When Hedda Gobbler or whatever and Henrik Ibsen is like burning the manuscript and she's like, I'm burning your child. (laughs) Like... (laughs) No one actually does that in real life, but like it fits like theater like a little bit, but it always does feel like in film, it's like, I mean, I think the best way to put it is like an Oscar speech moment when someone is like, remember when we were kids, how we used to say, I mean, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like, <laughs> you know, the evil voice of Mitchell and Webb. It's kind of like the evil voice, but it's this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Gunn is terrible at showing emotion here as well. He just kind of looks like he's mildly pained. <laughs> oh, what I was gonna say is, uh, and he sticks her. Still have affections when they're turned, except, which is yeah. weird because Angelus was not really the same. Maybe it was just because he was so mad at his family, but he didn't like try to turn his sister or anything. He. Um, 
yeah, I, I think that his emotions still, you know, were part of the reason why he did what he did, though. At least they always explain Angelus' psychology as lashing out at people that he cared for. And, like, trying to erase his own humanity as a vampire. Yeah, I feel like there's sort of a continuum of vampires where one of, on one end, we have the ones that just go crazy and start killing everything. And on the other end, we have the, the ones that kind of keep their personality. Well, they just want to have the same life that they had before, but just as a Yeah, they have vampire. different ideas and about so how to accomplish bring the important yeah, people with like, them. Yeah, she's like, the same thing is still important to her. She wants to protect him, but she thinks there's a different way to do it now, which is cool because that happens in real life like a hell of a lot, um, and not just with vampires. <laughs> um, the final scene is such a letdown for me. Was it a letdown for you? What do you the, mean the final Not the scene? final scene. No, yeah. Not there's the, at least two or three the scenes The Buffy speech. Before. The angel um, giving up. I mean, the only part that I like about the speech is when he says, I wasn't talking to you, and stakes that guy. And he says what? <laughs> he says, I wasn't talking to you. Like, the, the head white supremacist mm-hmm. vampire is like, you think I'm just going to walk away? And then Angel stakes him immediately. And it's like, I wasn't talking yeah, to you. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> we're seeing Angel, you know, that and him <laughs> firing the gun at Faith. We're seeing Angel become more and more of like, <laughs> I want to say a badass, but... Take no prisoners. Yeah, a badass, <laughs> take no prisoners. But like someone that extremely believes in what he's doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, so what happens um, in the final scene is that Angel makes this big speech about how everyone can walk out and nobody will get killed. And he tells the kids not to let anyone get killed. You know, just let the vampires walk off. Yeah. They, he says he, he says this a couple times, but I think this is the first time where he's like, hey, we don't have to fight if you leave Los Angeles and never come right. back. Like, this is my town. He says that to a couple of different, like, evil things over the course and of the Buffy. show. Where he's like, I give you, yeah, he's like, I'll give you the chance to. Yeah, but to Buffy, uh, he doesn't say never come back. He says, and then the decisions made in my town are mine to make. The final, final <laughs> scene. Well, not the, not even the final scene. The next this... final scene. We get three final scenes in this episode, okay? <laughs> the next <laughs> final scene is Cordy talking about <laughs> going back to the billionaire and making a proposition but before that they're talking about gun situation and how sad it is and i don't want to give the show too much credit but there's something oddly pointed about two middle class seeming white people in like uh i'm just gonna keep talking in a like beautiful looking los angeles park Mm -hmm complaining about their goofy expensive coffee like discussing what extremely poor black people's lives are like and cordelia even comparing herself to that being like i'm poor too like Like, she doesn't have an apartment that's super nice i don't like i don't want to um give this show too much credit for race but i it feels like in this moment 
that it's not taking what Cordelia and Wesley say at face value, that it's like, these people don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely also looks not real visually, so I'm going to also throw the show a bone and say they probably did that on purpose because there's some mega different camera lenses and filters going on that make it look like a dream scene. It's super bright and it's sunny, like, too. Yeah, super bright. Like, which is not something that happens in, sunny. in Angel. Like, or usually when it's bright in Angel, it's, like it's very harsh. yellow and, like and peach. Yeah. And there's all these pinks going on. And then they sit down on, like, this bench. They never do that. Yeah. It's like a very special episode yeah. wrap-up. <laughs> and then suddenly it turns yeah. when Cordelia's like... I could prostitute myself to David Nisbet. Those are her words, not mine. I would use the word sex worker, but she sure. would sex worker herself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Cordelia is talking about the type of relationship where two people get together with a mutual understanding, understanding that one person gets money, or and one person shares the money and gets services, which yeah. I think. And gets wife wifely right, right. duties, which I think is totally fine. You, there's two consenting adults; they can do whatever, as as long as there's, sure. you know. And usually, there's a tacit understanding. It'd be better if there were an explicit understanding, but you know, <laughs> nobody's really getting hurt in that arrangement. No, nope. uh, and the fact that most of the time, or and most of the negative words that exist for that type of relationship center around the woman just goes to show you that um, society resents women for using the little bit of power that they're given. It's like, oh, women are only sexual objects, but then when they use their sex to actually get money or power, then suddenly they're awful, awful people. Suddenly they're sluts. So, yeah, like, so there's a word for a woman who does that, a gold digger, but there's no word for a man dating someone who's much usually much younger and less mature right, right. and you know just using her there's no insulting word for a man because what the man is doing is okay expected even I'm okay with what the man is doing as long as it's okay with the woman and that's what she really wants obviously the show can't go there because it's too invested in the concept of romantic love, especially for its right. central characters, for one of them to just be like, yeah, this is, you know, a very economic and logical <laughs> decision I'm going to make right. at this point in my life. She even goes as far as to say, like, he's not repulsive, he's not mean, he's actually a really nice guy. Anyways. Yeah. She, she goes into the speech, which, like, is really nice, but, you know, at this show they can't really go there, where she's like... You know, looks don't matter uh, completely. She's like, there are other things, like what's on the inside that counts. But then she pauses, she goes, or chemistry. And that's where you know she's not going to go through with it. Because it's true that looks don't matter, but chemistry does. (laughs) When it comes to enjoying sex. (laughs) Looks really don't matter, but chemistry really does. Yeah. uh... (laughs) It was sad to me that they had her go there and then they backpedaled her. Like she, she was like, oh, well, I'll just be poor and find some love. Anyways, Cordy Nesbitt forever. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm shipping it. Cave it. Doherty. 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 Yes. Dordelia. <laughs> um, I hate the Wesley coffee joke, by the way. Where he like, he's like, that, oh, this is a real coffee. Oh. He's like, oh, there's coffee under here somewhere. And then he like, what? The only part of the joke that I like is that when he wipes the whipped cream off, instead of putting it in a trash can, he just throws it on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it definitely comes off as super petty after this whole episode, so. Yep. I mean, I guess it does play into my reading of yeah. this scene as being like white people, you know, sitting around in their semi-bougie environment even if they're not particularly bougie themselves, given like this incredible privilege to just <laughs> discuss how horrible, yeah, you know, actual like marginalized people's lives are. Hmm. Hmm. Um. And then we get this final scene where um, that I really really like where the show passes the Batman baton from Angel to Gunn and it actually suits Gunn way better than it does Angel because Angel's like really goofy and like his uh like the whole like tortured thing always comes off as like not that mysterious more like sullen get over it Angel yeah and like so angel comes up to gun as he's like grieving while looking out over the city much like batman does <laughs> um and he says to uh him that he doesn't need any help and angel goes i might that was the coolest and uh gun accepts the idea that he might be willing to help angel in the future oh another note about the video the the video of this episode gun always appears in metal square framing like a prison in his initial shots cool. and then they have a couple of shots yeah when he's going to get Al- alana he goes through a couple of different prison frames like the thick and then the very last shot is him standing in this prison like window But looking out right. over the whole city. So it's like he's in a prison, but he has like this he has this possibility laid out before right. that he didn't before of being a champion like Angel is. As opposed to just surviving, I guess, would be the distinction you would draw. I like this episode a lot. Cool episode. I have a lot to say about mm-hmm. the way the next episode was filmed, though. So I'm sad we're not doing a double episode tonight, <laughs> but I got to go to bed. Yeah. It's probably my second or third favorite episode of the season. I remember there was one really early on that I rated highly, and then the Faith double episode I really like, and then the episode with Kate's father I like a lot as well. So definitely in the top four or five episodes of this season so far i won't say how i feel about the last two episodes if you just had the season though wouldn't you have 
like more higher scores more high scores do you think um i mean i can't really say uh, it's true that like i was re-watching some of season two today and just thinking about man it gets I love so, these episodes it gets so, so, good. so much um but i mean surely the episodes here are comparable to like good episodes of like the good wife or community something you mentioned earlier which are shows that are solid if not excellent yeah i agree in my opinion like i wouldn't say i mean any if the of show had never risen above the way that all, some a lot of buffy is groundbreaking this is just like a really solid season so far Yeah, like, I mean, which is, you know, a B. I probably give the whole season, like, a B- minus or C+, plus, but that's probably just how I grade things. Like, that to me is solid. That's like, I enjoyed watching it. I don't know if I would go back to it um, right. at any point, really. And that's generally when I rewatch Angel, that's what happens is I might watch a couple episodes from season one. And then I jump. Yeah, into you're like, all oh, right, three. these other ones. Um, but um, yeah, it's definitely not. It's certainly not horrible. I mean, there are a couple yeah, there horrible are. episodes, like that the one sex was demon the worst. <laughs> also, the little kid really creeped me out. I'm sorry, I just can't get over that this time. I've got yeah. you under my skin. Yeah, the no soul kid. Yeah, that episode's not great either. And then the episode that I think is really terribly written, but is so well made that I end up still liking it, expecting where oh, man gets the evil right. demon pregnancy. That episode's a rough yeah, ride as well. <laughs> it's like a cringe fest. You're like, what were they but thinking yeah. when they wrote that? <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, this season has a lot of markers of things that um first seasons have which is to be expected i don't know it would be weird in some ways like if a first season of a television series was like right really on point and in fact like a lot of shows i feel like when they land the first season really well tend to go right, downhill like pretty quickly all their ideas yeah, again just going back to community i feel like everything is like so rightly formulated with season one that um they don't know how to like push or expand the boundaries and then at a certain point it just becomes like completely crazy like the difference between like the weird things that happen in season one of community and the weird things that happen in season four it's like two completely really different is. tv it shows. really is i i tried to pick it back up i forget what season it was it was after didn't dan Harmon leave he is gone for season five and then back for season six, which I don't think I, I ever I tried to watch some watched. of season five, and it was unreal. It was so bad. There's a point where... Yeah. But, I mean, I even think season four is mostly bad as well. The last Dan Harmon season yeah. before... There was a part where, like, one. one of the episodes ends and all of them laughing to close. Like, they just laugh and laugh. And nobody ever makes a joke out of it, even <laughs> though it's so ridiculous. And then it just ends. <laughs> 
Uh, reminds me of one of my favorite moments in Buffy in the musical episode when Xander and Tanya yes! sing that really horrible song to each other. And then it ends with them laughing, falling back on the couch in like this stereotypical movie musical moment. And then right as they like, right in the middle of the laughing, it cuts to them talking to Giles and they're like, <laughs> it was horrible. It was the worst. I hated it. <laughs> like what a perfect summation of how dumb movie moments are <laughs> wait what um, were we talking about oh okay so if there were only one season of angel and i know this is premature because we haven't watched the last i think i would rate it a lot lower because i think something that i enjoy is that they're setting up all these good hits and they're about to hit it out of the park but it's not going there yet they're just setting it up and i think i'm enjoying i'm i'm enjoying the setup i'm not like the actual ride has not been that smooth for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean then there's also something exciting about like a band's first album that's like not polished but like has like these hints yeah. of like greatness at it like a raw I, I like they're first not album. doing that thing too much where they bring up ideas and they never address them it doesn't happen too much on Angel that I remember um <laughs> this is uh Again, this is me saying something about a future episode, but I think it's funny they do all these things that like are like test case scenarios, and then at the end of the season they've kind of realized what they want to do and what they don't want to do. And there's a demon who shows up, and basically his job, in a way, is erasing all the mistakes <laughs> of season one. <laughs> so like he blows up Angel's office house because they're like this is a terrible <laughs> place to set the show <laughs> and stuff like that it's like literally he's just you know the writers erasing things that they realize <laughs> are not going to be you know a future part of the show like he helps instigate like the end of kate and angel being friends with each other like <laughs> they're like let's burn it all yeah it's like they managed to weave him into the plot enough that it's like oh this is a oh he kills nice. the oracles too I don't even rem- hey stop I don't remember all this yeah <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert but he's like believably written into the, sh- the the episode that you're like oh this is just the monster of the week and then like thinking on it I was like oh no this monster of the week's special power is destroying all the mistakes of season one um so <laughs> Did you have, uh, like, in other languages and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. I didn't even remember to bring it up this time, like, open the website like I normally do. Normally, I open the website and then I forget about it. (laughs) This time, I didn't even open the website. Next episode, we're going to talk about disabilities. Um, All right. Well, I guess I'll just wrap it up on my own. Um, No, it's fine. Um, and just like, I mean, you can listen, but it will just be me talking, I guess, on the podcast, which is, um, so a lot of these notes are things that we covered in the episode, in our discussion, um, when Angel is running from Gun and the others, theme playing throughout the chase sequence is the same one that was previously used in the Buffy episode, Becoming Part One, when the gang is attacked in the library, um, special effects supervisor Loni Peristair refine the dusting effect when a vampire is killed showcased by guns fly through dusting in the opening scene of the episode 
This technique, which costs 5,000 per use, depends upon a CGI skeletal frame surrounded by simulated dust carefully matched to a projection of the live-action footage. This allows for a complete organic transition from vampire to dust. Yep. Producer Tim Minear liked the concept of an entire subculture living under Las Vegas that you don't really see, which is a metaphor for the wealth stratification in L.A. You'll have upper-class neighborhoods and a block away poverty. The upper-class people sort of don't notice the poverty or choose not to. He also liked the scene in which Angel is rescued from the meat locker by Wesley and Cordelia, who ask, why didn't you call us on your cell phone? Because it turns the concept of the action hero on its head a little bit. The defining episode moment of the episode, Minear thinks, is when Angel, rather than offers help, instead indicates he may later need Gunn's help. David Nabbit was originally intended to be a recurring character, but only appears in two additional episodes. David Herman had difficulty fitting Angel into a schedule, and so the writer stopped writing scenes for him. previous episode, uh, Sanctuary is set directly before the episode, The Yoko Factor, and the following Angel episode, Blind Date, is set directly after the Buffy episode, Primeval. However, only a day passes between Angel's departure from Sunnydale and The Yoko Factor, and the end of Primeval and Warzone takes place over several days. In Germany, this was called Der Bandekrieg, meaning the gang war. Episode included in the vampire anthology Gun. <laughs> Obviously. This is my favorite note. We always laugh at it on Definitely Doomed. Is that an episode that's clearly about one character. One of the notes at the bottom will be like, This is a Willow-centric episode. And it's like, well, yeah. It's <laughs> not a very useful production note. Anyway, um, thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope that you are enjoying it. If so, you can... Um, Subscribe to us using your podcast listening application, and uh, of course, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. Uh, but for now, Marsha, <laughs> this podcast is the one good thing we ever did together. The only good thing. You make sure to tell the world that. And then Marsha cries, and we're out. <laughs> Bye. Bye.